Threat modeling is something that shifts security left. We can find problems early. If you think about, for example, that you find a security problem or a bug in your production, if we have done penetration testing, we could have found that. If we shift left, we could have done some static code analysis, vulnerability scanning, we may have found the problem then, but if we shift left even more, we could have caught that problem with threat modeling, and that's way earlier than any other of these security reviews or tests. Hello, and welcome to DevOps Sauna. Today, we have an exciting talk coming up. Our guests are Anne Oikarinen from Nixu and Nikolai Reisholt from Efficode. The topic of today is threat modeling, a practice of identifying and prioritizing potential threats and security mitigations. You can find the speaker introductions at the very end of the recording, so let's get going right away with Anne and Nikolai. Today we're talking about threat modeling, and uh, I, I really want to start by giving floor to Anne to answer the question, what is actually threat modeling and why is that important? Well, threat modeling is, well, if you want to summarize it really quickly, it's about thinking that what can go wrong, what bad can happen, and what can we do about it to, to lessen the impact or, or to make it somehow less less bad. So threat modeling helps us to identify problems very, very early in development, even before you, you stop implementing anything. So it can reveal also logical flaws and problems that could happen in the architecture or in the processes. You know, it's really hard to pen test a process or it's, it can be difficult to find flaws that occur only at times. So that's what threat modeling can do actually, and really quickly even. And so the benefits of threat modeling are that you can deliver better software actually. You can prioritize what your security measures and you can focus security testing on the most risky parts of the system. And there's probably a very specific reason why you call it threat modeling. So I understand there are also um, similar terms, which may may or may not mean the same thing. So let it let it clear out for the audience, like threat analysis or threat assessment. Yeah, threat analysis, threat assessment, it's, it's the same thing. Sometimes even people talk about risk assessment and, and meaning the same thing that thinking about potential security or, or privacy problems in advance and modeling well, because it's a systematic process in a way that you try to be uh, structurized and think of all the angles and not just, okay, I thought about this thing and let's, let's go on with, with, with the process. Very interesting. It almost sounds to me like framework for structuring your thoughts related to the security. So it will help you uh, make sure that anything and everything you ever have to think, it almost like takes you through that thought process. If I, if I listen yeah, to how you're that, describing that's it. the idea. And there are actually several methods for doing, doing threat modeling. Some methods appeal to some people. They are more suited to their thinking, but I guess you can, you can use several ways to get to the same results, that's, that's okay. And I, I think that, well, sometimes it may sound like that this is about being really pessimistic that, okay, you think all the things that could go wrong, that's, that's kind of not very nice, but that, that's not the idea. It's about thinking of all the possibilities and then, then narrowing down that, okay, this is not likely to happen, or this is not actually a big impact. And then we can, we can well down prior, prioritize them or, or skip them. 
Yeah, in, in many frameworks, and I believe it's also the case here, the hard part is to see what is not there. Like when you have when you have a piece of software and you're looking at the source code and you're looking at what it's doing, you can see all the code and there is a way for you to analyze what is there. But then you have to think, okay, what is not here? And I should be thinking about what is not there. And I, it sounds to me like this could help sort of think also those aspects that are not in there, but you should be aware of them. You're right. How did you eventually get interested in this? Like this probably not something that immediately comes to your mind when you build and start your career as a security specialist. So what got you interested in threat modeling? I think I heard about it around five or six years ago. I was then working at the National Cybersecurity Center of Finland. So my work was about, well, helping companies or individuals to, to cope if they had had a data breach or an incident, what should they do? And also I was writing vulnerability advisories. So, but basically I, I was always working with teams or people who had suffered a security incident already and then it's well i started thinking that okay is there a way to to sort of notice this earlier and then then i i don't remember actually where but i heard about the term threat modeling and i got interested in that it really resonated to me because earlier when i was working at a software development company there was a, again this this thing that you should know about security problems in advance. But then I also had been in some hacking courses, but it's you, you don't really learn how to hack in a two-day course or <laughs> even a one-week course. So that takes time. And it's also, I believe it's not something that every developer or tester should be a hacker to, to find out security problems that way. So I, I, it, it struck me that, hey, threat modeling is something that you get to find and identify really serious and, and real security problems without being a, an ethical hacker. So, and then I read this book about threat modeling I got by Adam Shostak. I got, got so interested in it, so I bought this book and that convinced me even more that, hey, this is something useful and this is something I, I want to do. Actually, later, I started working as a security consultant at Nixu and spent there some more time learning how to be an ethical hacker. But still, I think that the combination of doing threat modeling and then doing also security testing is the most effective thing you can do because you cannot find all the problems by testing and maybe not all the problems by threat modeling either, but the combination is, is really excellent. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking you, Nikolai, now from your perspective, because you have you introduce yourself as a as a background in security, but now you're you're basically working with people and with teams developing better software. And I'm I'm thinking the upcoming question about like DevSecOps and the security tools which are built as part of software development and release process. And I'm I'm pretty sure that when you look at software testing practices and development practices, there's sort of security tools integrated in there. So as to sort of this, with this idea of what somebody calls as DevSecOps. And you could argue that there are so many automated security tools that are integrated in the CICD pipeline that begs a question like what everything needs to be there. So I'd like to hear your thoughts, Nikolai, because I believe you are coming from a slightly different angle and, and try to get some... Uh, 
some conversation going on between you from from these two angles. Sure. So the nice thing about these tools that we integrate in our CI pipeline is that things become automated and we kind of take some of the responsibility from the developers so they can focus on the development and then we let the CI pipelines do all the boring stuff like security, right? We don't really want to think about it. We just want to automate that away. And story got me thinking about like, how do you get people interested in threat modeling? Sometimes when I'm out in the wild, I need these arguments. So you mentioned that you've mostly worked with people that have experienced incidents. And because they've experienced incidents, they know what will happen if you don't have a secure system it gets breached one way or the other well not not only with people who have experienced incidents but i think also many developers have just noticed that hey this is really cool because now i found this potential issue even before i i coded it so no i'm not wasting time for for doing something and then somebody tells me that hey this is not <laughs> this is insecure that's that's all i think one of the main reasons. And and yeah, I, I'm not saying that any automated tests wouldn't be useful. They really are. And I, I love those. So there's, there's no way that these would be sort of, you pick one or the other. I think you should have both. And actually, also one thing that I've been noticing when you talk about threat modeling, or if you Google threat modeling, that uh, sometimes people s- seem to assume that this is something that you do for an entire system, so which sounds kind of, kind of burdensome. But then I think it would be better to threat model epics or user stories, so it really in short batches, so it doesn't take much time to think that, okay, is there a security impact? Aha, uh-huh, no, in this change, there's no security impact. Then we take another story, ah, we're actually introducing a new element in the architecture, or we are messing up with personal data now, but we didn't do that before. So, aha, we should think about security and privacy a bit more. And then it has it can be simple. Yeah, because it becomes quite a daunting task. I can imagine a, a parallel would be to introduce testing in a system. If you then agree, okay, we're going to start with testing. Well, where do we start? Let's test the entire system from the beginning. Yeah, not, not maybe that efficient. Unless you haven't done anything so far, and then <laughs> then maybe maybe it's something you need to do. And I guess all it would be interesting to compare that if you have security uh, test automation in place, and you fix those findings <laughs> as well, that then have a penetration test, and then see that was there something that the automatic tools missed. It, it could be something something logically that, for example, that because tools are getting better and better, but it basically they are testing patterns. There's no no machine learning so far or artificial intelligence in, in, in those security tools. So they are not thinking like humans do. Humans could think actually very in very nasty ways that if I combine this vulnerability with this vulnerability, then I, then I get access to the entire system. So if you think of, uh, let's take a hypothetical um, or company where Nikolai is working on and with, and uh, they would probably already have automatic security tools integrated to their CI pipeline. And they may do some penetration testing already. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But if we were to build a case for including threat modeling 
into that sort of entire toolbox and and the processes of of being more taking sort of more comprehensive view at security how would you start doing threat modeling you already referred one part of that would be the sort of whole system versus epic user stories what else is there to really like integrate threat modeling as part of your entire um, security processes well it depends a bit that how is the team working already i wouldn't like change the whole development process because they they have if they're producing something that works so <laughs> it's it, they have a process already but one thing that could work for example if they use definition of ready and definition of done so would make sense in to have the, in the definition of ready uh, a checkpoint that okay is there a risk in this feature that we are going to implement right now some some criteria that okay are we adding new stuff changing the architecture or do we use different kind of data than before things like that and then if you if you notice something that matches then then do threat mo- quick threat modeling to it so basically list on a confluence page maybe that okay these are the problems use use a couple of of frameworks like evil user stories stride to think about potential problems and then then also think the important part here what can we do about it should we implement another check should we add add some other security control maybe from a web framework or provided by the, by the platform and then put those to the backlog and also i maybe think that is this something that we should test especially do security testing or code security reviews and then in the definition of done have quick checkpoints that okay did we by the way do that threat modeling if we didn't do that early did we update something did we pass the review or did we pass the testing so something that will fit naturally into what they are already doing and not making it too complicated that's that's what i, I begin to do and also if you have these security testing tools of course make sure that the results of those are being checked and used because there's no worth having a security test running and producing reports that nobody even cares about right yes i've seen the letter far too often you have these yellow and red flags all over and Yes, it's fine. Then we know the system is, we know the tests are still. Yeah, we run to test. We don't look at the results. <laughs> exactly. We know the tests are running at least, right? That is, it's very useful advice. Introducing freeform notes while people are working on the task and then revisiting them afterwards when they feel that they are done because it lowers the barrier to entry a lot from having to fill out a specific form in a specific system somewhere yeah no no forms or any, anything like that like it's that something that you can write quickly that's that's i i think that's enough and and well i i think that the minimum requirement for for documenting is that you you or your teammates can read it the next week <laughs> and I still understand that what was this this thing about so yeah no need for writing extra documents and i like revisiting it in the end when we feel that we're done. So we've at least made explicit decisions about what we are going to fix and what we're not going to fix or how we will prioritize the things. Yeah, it's it's actually, well, it's sometimes understandable or the risk is so small that there's no point doing anything right now, but it is really good to have that info that now we decided to do this. 
because later on, if you have more resources or the situation changes, for example, you put your internal application to the internet, it's it's a total different scenario. So then, then you can check that, ah, we made these changes, we need to address them now before we should do this. What you said there, I started to think about the roles in a typical software development team or the setup. And where do you typically see that these tasks fall? You said that not not every developer needs to become a a hacker by definition. But what advice would you give to like software development leaders or software development professionals to what extent they should be acquainting themselves with threat modeling or that if they want to adopt threat modeling as a as a way of working like who would be the natural what what would be the natural role in the software development team to take that responsibility well many teams actually elect a security champion from uh, among themselves so then there's no no need for that security champion to be any security expert or anything like that somebody who is interested about security and would take some lead in the team that okay now we should do that threat modeling or, or contact security team or be in communication with some external security specialist to, to get help if needed and, and maybe facilitate threat modeling workshops or other security things. So it, it's usually good that there's someone who's well will, willing to spend some more, some more time thinking about security. But, but then again, I think every team member should at least understand that why are we doing this and what's the importance and also ab- about the context that what are the threats threats to the business as well if, if if security fails so they can think about it in their work sometimes it is it's more useful to have security coding guidelines but then of course need to be understood by the team members but i, I would approach it maybe the same way as you do with quality that every everyone in the team is responsible on their part of ensuring that the software has enough quality in a sense. But then, yeah, I would make it go for the security champion role might be useful. And then, of course, PO role is important as well, because somebody has to prioritize that are we doing new development or are we doing security fixes? It's not going to work if there's a push for let's use these new features and (laughs) not, not worrying about the technical depth or security problems. Interesting. Yeah, I'm thinking about two other topics there related to these roles, because we ourselves at Efficode, we are huge advocates of practice communities. And some organizations might have a practice community approach to a thing like quality or or security. Uh, and some other organizations have center of excellence. So they have sort of consolidated the people with like deeper interest and probably more focused effort on those areas into the formal organizations. Uh, what are your experiences in about either practice community around threat modeling or center of excellence about that? Or is it more on a general security level? Yeah, I think if if the company has those already, it, it would be a really good idea because then you can spread the knowledge from team to team. They are probably working with slightly different projects. You could tell that, hey, we found this thing in, in this project might apply to you as well so or, or they have this for example it could for security tooling work really well that this is how you integrate this this tool and also you could you could share your threat modeling experience yeah good idea any thoughts nikolai i really like the idea of uh, the security champions having designated person in the team who has the ownership 
of the team's interest in security. So, of course, you need everyone in the team to take part in it. Just you need for quality in software. We need to agree that we will uphold a certain quality. And so we would agree that we would try to make secure software. But the responsibility, it doesn't fall between chairs. We are just saying that if nobody is the owner, then who's to make sure that it actually happens? But maybe you could have a combination of those so we could have the security champions and then the security champion practice community so they can actually share experiences. And, and of course, it depends on the project. If it's a really large project where there are several teams, maybe the each security champion in, in the teams need to work together, if, especially if there's one team is making a change maybe to a platform that then the other teams need to like understand that what is the security implication to us. So needs need a lot of correlation there. Yes, collaboration. <laughs> the favorite word. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, practice communities around security champions also. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, how does it sound? If, if you, Nikolai, think about the, like without naming individual customers, but when you think about the readiness for overall um, software development organizations to adopt this approach where do you think typically organizations are in their maturity to to adopt something like this i think it makes a lot of sense for a lot of them to start adopting it i also think that with the examples given like introducing it on a epic or user task basis that you are lowering the bar as much as you can down to the task level so that it's something that you could introduce. So if you are already working in a way where you are cutting down your problems into individual tasks, then I think the only thing an organization would need is to just prioritize it and to give the developers the time for taking the freeform notes, revisiting it afterwards. So a lot of the times when we go out somewhere, we see a tools team that are just so busy either maintaining a large platform or like fighting fires on a number of tools that they have already introduced. And it might feel daunting to then add work to each of these tasks until you realize that this is as important part of the tasks like implementing the solution or figuring out what solution is the right one to work with in the first place. Yeah, you will definitely need time that there's no way around that. But does it help actually that threat modeling doesn't need any tools specifically? I mean, there are tools for threat modeling, but that's not necessary. You can just, if you can draw something and write something, that's <laughs> the minimum requirement. I like that you said earlier that it's not maybe not replacing anything you have already in place, but it's adding it on top of or or in addition of everything there is so that is also a safe way for organizations to start practicing it because they are not introducing additional attack vectors in, in their way of working by introducing something additional like there is no way or it's hard for me to imagine that by introducing threat modeling you you are introducing potential you, you are potentially weakening your security it can it can only go to the better direction and then if that is true, then maybe it can link back to the sort of blameless post-mortem part that you go you go back as a team and you think, okay, what went well this sprint in terms of threat modeling and what went wrong and how can we improve it? And you will basically constantly become better 
until you get to a point that you you think that okay it it took a while and we had to learn and we had our mishaps but now we have gotten to a point where we can really see the benefit and you're doing it in a safe way so that you're not making drastic changes in the way you apply security and, and approach security and that and while you are becoming better you are introducing some you, you are introducing regression in your security so to say i'm not sure if i'm able to explain myself clearly enough here but that's that's what i what i thought when you when you were discussing i like the idea about the explicitness of which decisions that you were made so uh, i'm still very young in software development in terms of only have been here for three years in the wild but uh, having discovered a tool like decision locks a couple of years ago where we can actually write down what we talked about and again in free form and we can go back to it when something goes wrong or when we're looking at why did we design a system like this and then we have our arguments the same thing with threat threat modeling that you can actually revisit the decisions that you've made, what we're fixing, when you have the blameless most post-mortem, what went wrong, did, was our worldview the wrong, or didn't we prioritize what to implement correctly, or did we even think about this? Yeah, I think it's like glad that you think that it's, it's a good idea to write things down, because I think the worst case that you can have is that you develop an application quickly, but you don't, for, for some reason, that you need to develop it quickly it sometimes happens and but then you don't document anything about it and then then it's a really big question mark that what is the security posture of this thing that because you don't you don't know the decision anymore if you weren't in there and actually even if you were there uh, participating you really quickly might forget that what are the details I actually had an example for this we were threat modeling Epic, so with one of my customer teams, and yeah, we started on it on the Epic, thinking about what can go wrong. We identified several things, but we ran out of time because we're doing other things in the workshop as well. And then we continued next week, and everybody was just first. It's like, hey, this sounds a bit familiar. Then, then, then we remembered that, ha, ah, we already thought about this, and then we scrolled down. Look, look for our notes, our comments, comments in the epic in Jira, and then we figured out that okay, we had identified different things on the second go. But it was really good to have the previous notes because there was this loads of to-dos and things things to implement because there were really good notes about not doing validation properly, and and people really thought about all kinds of evil things that could happen. But everybody had, there were like a few people there, and everybody had forgotten in that week that what we were talking about, and that that was really crazy. I mean, if you if you are busy and you're working with different things, you would might really easily forget that why why did we chose to do it in this way. And also, I like the idea of continually improving and learning and because it's it's not that you need to do it perfectly for the first time and it it might sound scary that okay now i need to learn this threat modeling method sounds difficult i mean it's it's good to do, do it do something and find a few things and then and that's that's okay and then you can aim aim to find at least one threat first and then then second time Let's try to find two threats so that we it, it's not mandatory to be perfect on the 
at the first time. It's doing some threat modeling is, is better than it's much better than doing no threat modeling at all. It's Lauri again. In highly regulated industries such as finance, both security and compliance are key. Agile methods, self-organizing teams and daily releases might seem to be only for unicorn companies, but that's not true. We recently ran a webinar with Jesper Eriksen from Bank Data in Denmark. They share their DevOps journey, and you can hear how DevOps practices and tools help integrate security and compliance requirements in the software development. You can find the link in the show notes. Now let's get back to our show. There were some terms that you used earlier, and I wanted to come back to them and give you a little more time to to maybe go into the techniques, whereas many of us and many of the listeners are so intrigued in different approaches. You said uh, evil user stories. That was that was one term that you used, and then there was a stride model that you used. So maybe maybe if we take a few moments just to enlighten our audience as to the other or the or the different threat modeling techniques. Yeah, sure. Uh, there are several threat modeling techniques which sort of tells that none of them are, are perfect. They are useful maybe for a certain purpose. So and, and people have different mindsets of uh, ways of thinking. That's why there are several. And it's 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 okay to, to use also a few techniques. So evil user stories is something I, I, I like a lot because it's maybe something to understand based on user stories. And also it, it helps to think about the problems in features, whether they are for end users or admins. But the idea behind evil user stories is that, uh, well, either you think in a user story format that, okay, I am a cyber criminal and I want to steal credit card numbers to, to make money. But uh, I've noticed that it sometimes you, you sort of run out of ideas that what would a cyber criminal want to do? So. I prefer to use another way that you first think about assets or any anything important in your application or system that you want to protect. So, for example, personal data or your your algorithms, your credentials or, or certificates and signing keys, and list those. And then, then think that for for each asset that okay, what bad should not happen to these important data or resources. So you can complete the sentence, an attacker should not be able to do what? Or, or a user, it, it's not always about attackers. It can be a mistake. An attacker should not be able to purchase stuff on our website without paying for it. Or an admin should not be able to delete files on the system accidentally. Or many simultaneous users on the website should not be able to crash it, things like that. And then after you have a list of these negative scenarios, you, you start to refine them a bit that, okay, how would the, actually the attacker be able to buy stuff without actually paying for it? Or how would the site crash? And you, you list some scenarios and also the more important part, you think that how could you prevent this? Well, if, if it's about uh, seeing somebody else's data, you could just think that, okay, you can guess somebody's password and that's the easiest way to get to see somebody's data and an account. You don't need any any injections or any technical vulnerabilities for that. But but vulnerabilities is, is another option. So you can maybe then draw the conclusion that ah, we should scan for known vulnerabilities in our code. And we should make sure that if you try to enter the wrong password very many times, then you would lock the account temporarily. So if somebody is trying to 
get into somebody else's account, you could prevent it that way and maybe have logging and, and monitoring to catch those things. So it doesn't have to go into very uh, techy attacks. It can be really simple things. And that's the idea of evil user stories. So what do you think? Would that work in, in your context? I think the evil user stories sound like a great tool because as you mentioned in the beginning, you might not want to have every developer become a security expert, or you might not already have that every developer is a security expert, and it will kind of help them get into the mindset of how a user malicious or benign could be misusing the system to gain access to assets one way or the other. And it also sounds a bit fun. Right? Like a game day, you're kind of like role-playing. How do we break this thing that we've been working on? Or how would a would a malicious user try to break the thing that we're working on? Yeah, it can be really fun thinking at all the ways it, you get to be creative. That's actually something I like about security, security testing and also threat modeling that you can, you can really, really brainstorm and get to think of something that nobody else had thought before. The other you mentioned was, uh, well, this is maybe not the comprehensive list of what you had in mind for techniques, but one you, you mentioned was Stride. Yeah, Stride is, is I guess, you can't talk about threat modeling without mentioning Stride. It's quite a technical threat modeling method uh, for especially modeling data flows. So you have some data sent by a process and it, it's received by somebody else. So, so all the letters in stride come from a specific thread type as uh, for spoofing and then there's tampering and repudiation and information disclosure denial of service and elevation of privilege but yeah it, it's it's especially suitable for finding uh, flaws or weaknesses from the architecture there are actually even playing cards for that called elevation of privilege by microsoft you can download the cards online uh, it's, uh, it's a pdf at least and i think somebody is selling those cards as a like physical card deck but yeah you can you can have a game session that you you show in like like poker style that, hey i have information disclosure here <laughs> and, and then you of course try to to identify that where in your system you would have that information disclosure and you can score points if you find more threats than the others I hope they are negative points, though, considering that, uh, well, finding them is a good thing. Leveraging them is a negative point for, yeah, interesting. I heard game session. I'm all sold. <laughs> Why I got interested in that? Because very, very recently uh, we introduced a game for another purpose. That was for playing a pipeline game on a continuous integration, continuous delivery pipeline. And I was like, I was immediately, my, my thinking was immediately going like, okay, can we take that engine, gaming engine that we developed and could we model the the sort of playing cards on that gaming engine? But yeah, I, we should we should know more about that first. But Anna, you can check out our pipeline game. Uh, if you just look for pipeline game, Efficode, you will certainly find that online. Yeah, I need to check that. Talking about games, I actually have another one. Nixu developed something called Cyber Bogies. So these are cards that have different attacker and other harm doer types. So there are sort of these stereotypic characters that could harm your security and privacy. We have all, all these like really 
stereotypical things like script kiddies and nation state attackers and supply chain malware there. But we also have like, well, social engineering victim, a lousy developer, profits first, marketeer, and, and oh, that you was... can you can find if if you find have trouble finding it, okay, who would actually be motivated to attack or do something, you can think about the cards. We actually have a game for it. It's in our GitHub, so you can download the cards freely and, and see what what kind of attacks you would find that way. Profit first marketeer really That resonates to you, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Re- resonates in a in a ashamed way <laughs> it's like maybe marketing shouldn't be that much about profits and more about what benefit it brings to customers but but well done there i'm starting to look towards the end of our conversation there's only one question remaining and then i really like to give floor for for both of you if there's anything else you want to say but my last question would be that like okay now you have been sold on this concept and you have been introduced some of these techniques. Maybe you have adopted the blameless postmortem as a way of, of continuously improving it. And maybe you have installed your practice communities for the security champions, like all everything what we have discussed. But where is good enough? Like how how far you should take it to say, okay, I understand that it, it's never ready. That's what I understand. But but where is this 80%, 20% rule that, okay, now it's good enough and now we we can be satisfied about where we have come? There are a few aspects to consider that have we done a good enough job about threat modeling. For example, if you are thinking about the architecture threats, you could think that, okay, have we thought about something for each architecture element, for example, database or, or any data storage? Or have we thought about all the features in the system? Or that we are, or if we are doing it in batches, all the features that we are going to release next. Have we thought all about all the harm doers we have identified? If we earlier thought that okay, we are worried about a script kiddie and somebody internal making a mistake, and also uh, the marketeer, then then think that okay, have we thought about what these persons could do intentionally or unintentionally, and do we have something to tackle these these threat scenarios? Yeah, I think also it's good to remember that it's it's the mistakes that could actually happen and harm the security. And also maybe to consider that have you asked the viewpoint for of enough people? If you you shouldn't do it on your own because that you have your own viewpoint. Maybe you're thinking about only the development part or only the business part. But have you asked, for example, the testers? They might have really good ideas on how you can break break the system. So that's something to consider. And but I think that that's that's enough. And if you have find that you haven't thought about all scenarios, then revisit the threat model. And it's it's more more important to keep updating it continuously than thinking that okay now we have done it once now we are we are good to go and we don't need to threat model anymore ever. So updating it a bit. It's not gonna find all the things, but if you have other security practices like those security test automation tools, you're doing code reviews, that's gonna cover cover the things that you may have missed. So these are the things to consider. How how would you accent that, Nikolai, when you look at it from sort of software development practices perspective more broadly? Uh, What what thoughts does that raise? really appreciated the comment about have you included the right people or have you included more people so this can also foster collaboration right from 
an entirely different field writing when you are done writing something then you correct your own typos but does that mean you are done right you can't correct your own work so of course you should be including more people in working on these threat models together so i think it ties very nicely into whether you call it DevOps or DevSecOps or... Where should people go to get... I, you mentioned one book in the beginning, but let me ask it more broadly for you. And uh, people who online who are listening to this and they think, okay, I really need to get to the bottom of this. I need to interpret Where should they get started? Like, what are your top, like, first three things or first three sources of information you would advise people to look into to get them going in this practice? The book I mentioned uh, was by Adam Schultzstack. It's called Threat Modeling. And uh, I'm just trying to think for the <laughs> top three things. Maybe you can we can start by learning one threat modeling method. Maybe evil user stories is something to start with or, or stride and then, then try to use that first. And then uh, when you think that, okay, now I can use this, then then find for other sources. I mean, that's, yeah. I might might think for a few links to to give you, but I don't have anything like on, on the top of my head, except yeah. for that book. It's a really good good book. Yeah, maybe we put them in the show notes so uh, so people can go and refer to them later. In that case, and thank you for them um, a lot. So we'll we'll help people get on the right journey and make it easy for them to get on board. Any last comments you'd like to make before we before we close? Let's start with Nikolai and then give the last words, closing words for Anne. I think the closing words would just be listen to what Anna says about getting started with this, working it into a sprint or how you work with the tasks, do the freeform notes when you are kind of figuring out which parts of your system that your new feature or the maintenance that you're doing will be touching and what changes that will make and then revisit it when you're done. So what what did we change in the system and what do we need to think about? Did we introduce some new possible vulnerabilities or are we actually done with the task or feature that we were working on? And then just get started with it. It sounds super interesting. Yeah, just get started with it. I think that's precisely the, the right attitude for the, yeah. And the final words from you. I just want to say that, that threat modeling is something that shifts security left. So we can find problems early. So if, if you think about, for example, that you, you find a security problem or a bug in your production. So if we have done pre- penetration testing, we could have found that. If we shift left, we could have done some static code analysis, vulnerability scanning, we may have found the problem then, but if we shift left even more, we could have caught that problem with threat modeling. And that's that's way earlier than any other of these security reviews or tests. That is a superior observation. And I think uh, it speaks to the hearts of many, many people who talk about shifting left in, in many respects. So that's a wonderful conclusion. Well, uh, time runs. And uh, I very much like to thank you for joining us uh, as said before we'll add uh, the reference to the book in the show notes we'll add uh, the the important getting started material um, in the show notes as well and, and thank you Nikolai for joining and thank you Anne for such a wonderful conversation thanks it was fun thank you much appreciated thank you for listening if you want to continue the conversation with Anne and Nikolai be sure to check out their profiles in Twitter and LinkedIn 
you can find the links to their profiles as well as links to the content they referred in the show notes. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating on your platform. It means the world to us. Also, check out other episodes for interesting and exciting talks at DevOps Sauna. Finally, before we sign off, I'd like to give floor back to Anne and Nikolai to introduce themselves properly. I say now, take care of yourself and remember to secure your software delivery chain. So my name is Anne Oikarinen. I'm a senior security consultant at Nixu. I've been working pretty much all my career evolving around software security. Actually, I started as a software tester, but pretty quickly realized that I'm, I'm good at breaking stuff. So I got interested about security and studied that as well in university. Currently, well, what I do is I help development teams make more secure software. Well, I, I, I think that security is best, best built in, so I really much like to work with development processes, how to actually include security work in a simple way in the process. Also, I do threat modeling with the teams, so thinking what can go wrong and what can we do about it. Also, some security testing, and but I think that threat modeling is, is one of my favorites when it comes to, to finding security problems early. My name is Nikolai Grasholt. I'm a DevOps consultant at Efficode. I've been there for three years. My origin was at the University of Aarhus, where I did a master's degree in computer science with a specialty in cryptography. So uh, security has always been a thing I was very interested in. And now I work with people out at organizations. I'd say that security still has a special place in my heart. So when I had a chance to join this call, I just jumped right on it. <laughs>